Before we have our, our, our reading of scripture, we're going to do something different. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, because of the amount of text that we were working through, I'm going to walk us through different chunks as a local community. So what I want to do is I want to pray together. Uh, then we're going to enjoy Christ, get the word out, and we're going to enjoy Christ and, and pray that his holy word would minister deeply to all of our hearts uh, that are needy, okay? So bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity uh, to respond to you based on who you are, what you've done. And that response is singing and adoration and allegiance. That response is awe. And Lord, we pray that you would use our time of congregating, Lord, to encourage and infusing your saints a passion for your honor. And Lord, we pray for our young people, Lord, that that they wouldn't learn uh, just um, religion. They wouldn't just learn the things we just do here at Mac. But Lord, would you be in their hearts right now instilling a, a sense of that the Holy Spirit would be working in our kids and our, and our teenagers. And they would just be seeing, man, wow, that God is doing something in my life. I believe Jesus. We pray for that, Lord. We are here not to just be here. We are here because we believe you are here. So, God, Jesus, my heart, gracious Lord, would you fill us with your spirit. Uh, guide me, Lord. I, in my flesh, I want to be liked. I want to do well. But, Lord, I pray and I give that over to you and I ask that you would be made much of. Lord, that you would use me by your grace to shepherd your people, Lord. And that your holy word would go forth. Holy Spirit, fill me and allow your words to go forth. And you do your work in your people, Jesus. We love you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated, family. Um, we are in the book of Exodus right now. Um, if you need a Bible, uh, we're going to be hitting a lot of text today. Uh, for a couple of reasons, obviously, the text in, in hand is a lot. But then also... Um, we're going to be showing you some other aspects of what God is doing in his world. So we're going to need, obviously, the scriptures to do so. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and uh, uh, Pastor Leon will hook a few you guys up for sure. And then, uh, Pastor, if you, if you do that, if you can come up here and hook me up, that'd be great. Um, we, have a, <clears throat> we have a gift for you guys. You know, we've been talking a lot about the tabernacle. And so uh, we begin to cast vision like, well, if we're going to talk about the tabernacle and, 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 and also I feel like considering the, the new building, um, I, I felt like it would be, and considering the, the centerpiece of what the tabernacle is for the people of God, uh, we thought we would just create the tabernacle for you as a replica. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this. You can scoot on up. I'm going to bring it over to the center and sit it, and sit it up uh, so that I can walk through a few of the aspects. Um, before I do this, I wanted to show this to you because the whole time you'd be staring at the, the blanket and not listening to me. And so uh, I wanted to do this. Um, I have, we have one item of business that we need to take care of as a local community. I'm usually, if you're visitors, I'm never up here. So this is really bizarre. But praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So um, what... As you guys know, we just bought a building. Uh, praise the Lord. Well, we're buying a building. We got, we, we, and we want to close on it. 
And many of you guys, if you can, Pastor, if you can hold this out just so people can see it. Uh, many of you in our local body, if you're in a discipleship relationship, you can open it up. You receive uh, this folder. Um, if you have not received this folder, uh, basically it's a, a folder where uh, our building is uh, costing around 100, it's 175000 is our closing price. And then we, you know, with all the taxes, it'll probably be about $194,000. And as a local community, we're gathering other churches. And just I want to preface this, um, not out of pride, but just out of sense of you know our hearts. We hardly ever talk about money in this local body. Um, uh, but, but because of what we're doing now, it's a, and even as you see the theme throughout scripture that the people of God do the business of the people of God. And so uh, we want to ask you guys to be prayerful of, of joining in and helping us raise the funds uh, to purchase this building and renovate the building. Okay. Uh, and so if you, but obviously this is not out of compulsion. We even tell you in tithe and offering, we don't ask you to do anything out of compulsion. We want God to be stirring in your heart and giving you that freedom and that, that just that, that grace motivation uh, to give out of a cheerful heart. And if you desire to, and if you desire to tell other people how they can interact and help us get this building, uh, we wanted to make sure that we equipped our body uh, to be able to do so. So that's what this is. We wanted to help you in, a, in the easiest way possible uh, to give you the tools uh, to come alongside of your courage uh, while you tell people about the vision of what we're doing at Mack and Harding. So what we have in a nutshell uh, is we have these little cards that we um, are, are giving you that you can give to people uh, that you can help them understand in a snapshot of what our vision is. Uh, many of you should have gotten these in your Mac groups. If you have not, there'll be folders in the back for you. And if you are a visitor, or if you're not uh, part of this community as far as a member, as you're not in a discipleship relationship, but you still want to help we want to provide those for you as well uh, out back, okay? Um, in addition, you can you, there's, a, so there's envelopes that provide um, our address. So if individuals want to give, there's a document so that you can write down the people that you are saying you want to contact. Um, and then what we do is we do everything from uh, helping you see uh, what does it mean, the vision, uh, to giving you instructions on how to uh, raise funds. Uh, we even give you sample email letters of what, how to email um, the ask, and we even give you a sample, even phone conversation. All of that is just to help you as you're thinking about how do I help this local body get to the end goal of, of being able to purchase this building for the greater glory of Christ in our community. Does, all, does that all make sense? So we want to ask you to um, grab this if you, if you desire one. If you're a Mac Aver and you didn't get one in Mac group, we want to ask you to go ahead and grab one out back um, or uh, get one in your next Mac group. Do you want to share anything that I missed? Okay, cool, cool. So I hope that's encouraging to you to see that we're actually trying to provide resources. We're not saying, all right, y'all, go out there and get us 200 grand. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying we want to help equip you and we want to walk along with you. And obviously we're, keep praying for us as we're talking to churches and things like that as well. Okay, fam. All right, I bring that up to say now we're going to transition to this, which is interesting because, uh, you know, did you, uh, Pastor Leon, um, Exodus 25 talked about uh, the reality of the, uh, the plunder uh, that the Israelites used to actually build the tabernacle, right? So what you have here, you can, you can come on closer. He's awesome like that, trying to stand off inside and do his thing. What I would like to do, can you guys see it over, see it over there a little bit? I'm going to bring, I want to... What I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you just hold it up, right? And it's not that heavy. Just come around. Yep. Keep holding it up. Keep holding it up. Keep holding it up. Keep holding it up. There you go. Cool. All right. So what's cool is you have, you're talking from silver uh, to, to bronze and copper. And what's cool is when you look at the text of Pastor Leon taught about how God provided those resources from the Egyptians before they left Egypt. 
But if you look at that text, what's very interesting is I think the assumption a lot of times is that God was like, and make me a house, right? But if you look at the text, he talks about making a place for him to dwell. But notice what he does. He tells them, but the way you do it and the things you raise and what you use needs to not be compulsory. It needs to come from your heart. So if you don't want to give, don't. This is God. What's cool about that is that the, 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 if the stuff that was used to build uh, this structure in antiquity was all done out of a cheerful heart of people responding to God out of freedom. Just to set the record straight, if you thought God was like some cosmic bully saying, yo, where my house? Build me a house now. You know, that's not, that's not what happened. Right. And I think there's something beautiful about that, because as you continue on in the text and we'll see this in a few chapters later, it's not that just the people of God was able to uh, gather together their resources in joy to honor their God who deserves even much more than this. But then it says in the text that that at some at, at one point, Moses, there was so much Moses told him to stop. He said, stop, we don't need any more. Okay, and we'll talk about that later, about what God is trying to say to us there. But uh, it's a beautiful thing. So, so this, uh, you know, uh, 3,500 years now, uh, this, this was built uh, in antiquity. And, and, and the reason why we wanted to, to, to make this structure is because, if I can share a brief story, I was uh, with my uncle actually a couple of days ago, uh, my uncle Scooter, you know, we all got nicknames, and, um, and he... You know, and he's been, he's been diving in the Word lately. You know what he said to me? He said, uh, man, I, I love getting the Word. And he's diving in. He was an alcoholic and a, an abuser of his wife for years. I mean, serious stuff. Uh, drug addict, not alcohol, but cocaine, crack, all that, right? He's been sober for over 20 years now. A miracle. So you know I use that time to sit before him and say, hey, talk to me about that journey um, as we want to serve, uh, you know, uh, people and, and things of that nature. But he said to me, Eric, uh, he said, man, I just love the Bible. And I tell you something, I'm about reading the word of God. And if it's not Jesus talking, I don't deal with it. I just deal with the New Testament. I don't know why people deal with the Old Testament. Because Jesus is not talking in the Old Testament. You know, so I said, well, well, well uncle, you, love the, you, like, you like reading the Bible? Yeah. So I looked at him, I grabbed his Bible. I'm like, is this your Bible? He's like, yeah, it's my Bible. I said, okay. I said, so is only part of it your Bible? What about all this? And he was like, but that doesn't matter. And I, help, I talked to him, and we'll, we'll go to some scripture verses. But this is actually one of the reasons why I feel like God had motivated us to, to have a standing structure of, of, a, of a symbol that's so central to the people of God in the Old Testament as uh, the whole the courts and the tabernacle. And that's because we have become theologically illiterate when it comes to our Bible, let alone even more so with the Old Testament. And we've kind of separated and we almost feel like, hey, we're very traditional, you know, even us, you know, and I feel like we try to add liturgy to our local body, but we're evangelicals. And I tell you, my Anglican friends thinks we're crazy because we just walk around here and we almost think ritual is a bad thing. But let's be clear, family, ritual Inform the people of God during Jesus' day. Ritual is how God actually formed the Hebrews to be who they were. So now you get post-1500 years and you're on Jesus' day and you have a lot of things that are going on. And what does it say in the scriptures? It says Jesus, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Right? So 
So I want us as the people of God to and, and try to help my uncle see that. No, 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 no. See, as, as the, the, the Bible, my, we read the Jesus Storybook Bible, as it says, what every, let's say every, every, every passage whispers the name of Jesus. How does it say it again? It's a beautiful picture we read to our kids. And what it's saying is that the Bible, the Old Testament, young people, is that the whole Bible is a declaration and a revelation of who Jesus is. So, so I wanted us not to, when I think, when we think of the tabernacle, we think, wow, look at all those, ver- those verses and chapters. Let me just blow by it or read it quickly. And we don't pause and really try to understand what's happening in this, in this, in this world here. But think about it. Like I said last week, 50 chapters in the scriptures are about the tabernacle. So I want us to be comfortable with what's going on in antiquity, what's happening, so that we can actually know more about who Christ is, okay? So with that said, that makes sense, guys? All right, so what you have here is, is uh, you have, G, you have the, the, the Lord uh, allowing his people in Exodus, in the beginning of Exodus, to, to enter into uh, uh, slavery uh, for about 400 years. Uh, and then he, some people say 430. And then what happens is, is his people are crying out during those times. And think about it. During those times, uh, they're losing their, their native tongue, right? They're losing their, 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 their rituals. They, they're forgetting who they are as a people. And that's what happens when you enter into slavery, uh, right? Is that people actually rob you of your culture. Okay. And so that's, that's this, that's this, the nomenclature of, of what happens in slavery proper. And so the Israelites, as it were, basically had, had almost, as it were, forgotten what it meant to be the people of God. Okay. And then, but then they're crying out and saying and asking for uh, God to deliver them. God hears their cries. He sends Moses. Moses comes and by God's grace delivers the people of Israel. Okay. And now they're walking um, in the wilderness. And, and as they're walking, they have all the stuff from the Egyptians. Uh, Pharaoh gets mad. He, he says, I'm going to actually kill you guys. He chases them. And then basically we know the story that the Red Sea is parted. The people of God walk on land and then uh, Egyptians follow behind and then the waters crash and kill the Egyptians and now they're out in the wilderness they're out in the wilderness and what God does is he says hey I want to actually now begin to train you recalibrate you and what does it mean to honor and serve me what, is, what does it mean for me to take out all these pagan rituals that you now are affirming what does it mean for you to for me to take you through detox See, can I just, a small pastoral moment? We all need to go through a lot of detox. Can I be, some of us, we come even to MacAv, and you've been at some places, and they messed you up. We don't want to hear that. And God, what he wants each of us to do is to look at our journey and saying, what does it look like for me to demythologize my life, take the myths out, and place the truth in for the greater glory of Jesus? And so that's what God does with the people of Israel. He says, you know what, you, you've been sitting around here and you think like the Egyptians, you act like the Egyptians, you even worship like the Egyptians, but you're my people. I'm going to call you my people and now I'm going to put you in a place where now I can get your attention alone with God in the wilderness by yourself. Does that sound like life a little bit sometimes? God can't get to you until he take all the stuff out your life and forces you to hear him. I feel like I'm doing, you know what I'm saying? So... I usually don't teach like this, but um, so that's what God is doing, is doing with the Israelites, okay? So what he does is he, he sets up this structure, 
And I just want to go over a few things, and then we're going to get right into the word. Um, first and foremost, what will happen, and can I just pause and give a quick shout-out? They're going to hate this. Uh, Matthew and Betty Rojek worked so hard to build this structure. Amen. Mainly Matthew, he, he got a huge injury. He not want me to tell this. He got an injury right here. Uh, some wood hit him really hard, bleeding and stuff. Uh, a lot happened, but man, I am so thankful because I'm loving, I'm excited that when we get our building, this is going to be one of the structures in it. And I want to be able to have it so we can keep looking at it and be able to refer to what God has done in antiquity and now be able to see Christ as we look at this, uh, this structure. So what, what happens here is the people of God, you have, this is the, ta- this is the tabernacle and this is the tabernacle court. Okay. And what, what, what happens is you have uh, these little ropes uh, with tent pegs uh, all through all around it, guys, okay? And then what happens is there's one, entrant, uh, one entryway uh, right here. There's one entryway into uh, the temple courts, this, this, the tabernacle courts, as it were. And, what, and, what, and in antiquity, you have here a, a white sheet of linen that goes all the way around the courts, Okay. And what God does, he tells him to create this. But he's an architect. He tells him to create this. And he says, look, I want you to put the white linen around because what God wants to do is he wants to first retrain their minds. And I propose our minds on the importance of holiness. Holiness. Sacred. That, that when you are out here, it's common and you hang out. But as soon as you step within the presence of God, as soon as you step within the, the outer courts, that you're entering into a place that's sacred. Okay. But then what he does, and then when you enter, you have uh, a sheet here uh, that, uh, that's woven, not just white, but you have, it has different colors. And it has uh, cherubims okay, on it. Now, what do we know about cherubims when we think of the Bible? Where do we see cherubims first appear? In Genesis, right? Where are, they, where are they? What are they doing? Guarded the entrance to, 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 to Eden, correct? Remember why? Because they, right, Adam and Eve has sinned. God kicks them out, which is actually an evidence of God's grace. The reason why he did that, because he didn't want them to get back in, eat from the tree of life, and be unredeemed forever, as it were. Right? So, so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to block this. And then what God does is he sets those cherubim up as protectors, as it were, right? And so what you see throughout scriptures, and again, you see the cherubim in the famous verses in Isaiah, right? When, when he stands before and he says, oh, holy God, you know, and he, and he thinks God is going to kill him. And there's a cherubim there. And what you've seen is there's a picture that God is preparing us as you look at scripture, that the cherubim is kind of a typology that when you see the cherubim, that the presence of God is here. That, 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 that the potency of God is there. Okay, so you walk in, and then what you have here is you have what's called the brazen altar. Now, we've talked a lot, and I know this is a little academic, but stay with me here because I want you to see what's going on here. You have the, 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 the altar, which is of the five uh, you know, sacrifices that happen throughout the year, and it happens right here. This is where the people bring their meat and cook it and things of that nature. Okay. And so here you, you, so you can have all the Israelites can, can gather in this area. Uh, but then you have uh, the priest and the high priest. Now what they are to do is then you have here is the laver where they would wash their hands and their feet before they go into the holy place, the tabernacle. 
Okay. Now I'm going to try to peel this off real quick. I hope your arm's not burning. You all right? Okay. So, so let me just, let me just peel one off at a time. And I know we talked about this already, but I want to get it in our minds because we're going to be going through this text for a little bit. Yes, sir. Justin. Okay, cool, cool. That's good. Okay, so basically this, this whole area here was 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. And then the entrance into the holy place was 40 feet wide. Okay? So this is a small little thing here, actually. Right? Which, which speaks to what we talked about last week, the humility of God. Okay? Oh, I don't know. Another thing, too, uh, the, these pillars, correct me if I'm wrong, were seven, like seven and a half feet tall. Yeah. You going to do what? Okay, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about these, though, so I'm going to take it off. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, so these are seven, so imagine seven and a half feet tall all the way around. Uh, so, it's, it, you know, so this, so as far as the stage, is that what you say is 75 feet? Four, okay, that's 40 feet. Okay, great. Okay, so then you had uh, the, the four uh, types of, of skins, thank you, that they used. You had the, remember we talked about the, they, they're still arguing about what this was uh, as far as like it was an ugly animal, a badger, uh, but, but, the, but the hide was used to actually protect uh, the temple, the, this, the, the tabernacle. I'm going to peel that one back, buddy. Thank you. And then this one here was dyed, was dyed ram, rams, ram skin. Okay, so they, they had ram skin, but then they dyed it. Um, and then you had, you're awesome. Look at, look at Betty killing it, girl. You got that? Oh, are, these, are, these, are these together? Okay, no, that's cool. Um, all right, and then you had, um, this one here was, was, uh, was, was goat, goat skin, Okay. And so, uh, and then you had, if you didn't notice this, you had kind of the same, uh, uh, the same design you had here. They were, they made to enter into the holy place again with the cherubim. And so that would go down in this area here. So we can peel the whole thing off now. Let me hold it up. Can we peel it back? I know this is a little academic, but I just want you to understand what's going on. I can pick it all the way up high. Okay. So the only people who were able to go into this area, now remember, the people of God were learning what it meant to be the people of God. The only people that can go into this area were the priests. Okay, so now this is the holy place. This would be called the holy place here. This is the tabernacle. And there was a, there was a curtain here uh, that the people would go into. And they would wash here. And then you had the, the, the table of showbread here. You had the candle. Uh, and then you also, uh, right here, uh, I'm sorry, you, you had the, I just lost my train of thought. Matthew, what is this? Thank you, the altar of incense. The altar of incense. This is where they put the incense. I'm sorry. Thank you. So you walk through, and then the people of God would basically use this time right here to prepare themselves because this is kind of the, remember you talk about the four-inch curtain? That separates the holy of holies from the holy place. Uh, the basically the high priests would go into this place uh, once a year. 
Okay, and this is where they would pay for, uh, it's called uh, Yom Kippur. You guys have heard of that, that season. This is where they would actually pay uh, for the sins of the people in this place right here. So imagine no one went into this place and the only light that was in the holy place was actually on these candles here. Because remember, they, this whole shade, this whole thing was shaded by four really thick garments. Okay, because the linen garments in itself, I thought, were in pl- in pl- layers of five and ten. And now, I bring all that up to say, imagine you, the people of God, a few things. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. Um, think about it. How does this affect relationship? That's what I want to talk about today. Think about it. You're the people of God. You're not the priest. How would this affect relationship? What would this do for you and to you for 1,500 years? Okay. So I want you to see this. That's the question I'm going to ask. I'm going to jump down here. We're going to get into the word. Um, any questions about just the lay of the land, what's happening to people? So the people could never go into the holy place. Only, only the Levites and only the high priest could go past the curtain to the holy of holies, where basically the presence of God resided in the Ten Commandments. Think about that. Think about, about what that means. Okay? Okay, so we can put it, we can put it down there. We're going to leave this here so you can look at it while we, while we discuss some things. Give Leon a hand, y'all. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You, uh, I'm sure them arms are burning. So. Just for a couple of things to make sure I don't miss. Um. Now, now notice, notice all of this, all the, uh, the specifics of this tabernacle. And think about this. This was a mobile tabernacle. They would actually take this all down and set it back up to the specific specifications that God required. And remember, the first time they created it, it took seven months to create. Now, think about that. They did this for about 400 years. And they did the they did the 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 the, the, the rituals for obviously fifteen hundred years or so, but this whole framework of walking around, picking up, taking down, setting up, setting up, tearing down four hundred years. What do you think that would do for you? What do you think? And and, and one key thing too that I want you to think about is is when they created this piece. They created actually from the inside out. They actually started with the ark. You know, we would build a house and put stuff in it, right? But actually, they start with the ark of the covenant, and then they actually build out. Uh, to give you a few, uh, you were asking about the. I'm sorry, the do- the gate or the doorway. I'm excuse me, up at the in the holy place is actually 30 feet across. Okay. Make sure I give you the, and the tent, the tent itself, this part here, if you notice, is higher. It's about 15 feet high, and the pillars around it are around 7 feet high, for sure, yeah. Now, one thing I want to, and then we'll jump into the text, one thing I want to clear up is uh, maybe some, uh, some of us talk about um, the, the, the high priest, and we talk about, hey, you know, he, can, he has 
his stuff on, and then he goes into the Holy Holy. This is what makes it so, this shows you the importance of how holy the temple was. I just want to dispel some myths, and that you had the bell on his foot, and you walk in, and you, you didn't know if he was alive or not, and you just knew if you heard the bell, and then you drag him out if he was, di- if he was dead. Um, have you guys ever heard that whole piece? Um, well, I, I want to share, so I think the heart behind it was, uh, and I bring this up so that we can have just an accurate view of, of different things, and I try to research this a lot to make sure that I was... Uh, being faithful, the legend says that, you know, the rope on a high priest and, and uh, that God is so holy, you go in, if, there's, if he's de- de- decrepit at all, God would strike him dead and they would drag him out. But, but it seems, seems problem, problematic first because it's, no, it's nowhere in the scriptures. And, uh, and people have looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls. They look at Josephus and his antiquities, Tacitus and his antiquities, the Pseudepigrapha, uh, the Apocrypha. Uh, and, and there is nowhere to be found. And they think it's, it was kind of a, uh, a wise tale that came up uh, during Second Temple Judaism, which is right after Jesus' death. Uh, or right, 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 I'm sorry, right, right before his death. So I want to say... Um, that, that that concept isn't, isn't true. And for you, for you people who are not academicians and you're like, why are we talking about this? The, the, I want to talk about how holy God actually is uh, and how that doesn't affect his holiness. And here's why. Because basically I want to propose, and we could put the picture up, that the priest wore two garments. Okay, the, the high priest wore a, very, a beautiful garment uh, during his time uh, throughout uh, the, the outer court. And he wore a beautiful garment, the same garment, during his time in the holy place. Uh, but when he went into the Holy of Holies, actually he had to change his garment. Uh, the garment he put on in the Holy of Holies was extremely plain. And so uh, it had no, there's no jewels. I'm sad that Sasher has a jewel, but that's not the case. It was all white, and they called it the white linens. And, and after they wore that white linens, uh, actually, he could not wear those again. And so it was once, one time in that place. And what's so beautiful about that, if you think about it, I love the fact that uh, contrary to the other, the other legend, this, this reality that actually is found, and I can give you some scripture verses, uh, reveals his holiness in the sense that when you come to God, you come bare. Right? And so that's the picture there, is that when you stand before a holy God, you actually uh, come bare. So I just wanted to... Uh, uh, kind of clear that up real quick before we jump right in. So let's get into the text here. Uh, last week we talked about the tabernacle. We talked about the, the, the reality of God being near us. Um, the reality that being pitch black and, this, and entering into God's uh, this, his holiness and the power of that. And now we're going to keep on looking uh, through the section, through section verses 15 through 30. We did 1 through 14 last week. I think you'll still be blessed. Uh, The addresses for the cherubim was actually Genesis 3, verse 24, and Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Look at those. The scriptures read, and I'm going to go ahead and read for us if you're there. Again, we're talking, we're in Exodus uh, chapter 26, verses 15 through 30. Look what the scriptures say. Verse 15, you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of the frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. And there shall be two tenons in each frame. 
uh, for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. Verse 18, you shall make the frames before the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the, two, the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, 20 frames. And there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. Verse 22, and for the rear of the tabernacle, west you shall make six frames and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear they shall be separate beneath but join at the top at the first ring thus shall it be with both of them they shall form the two corners verse 25 and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver 16 bases two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame you shall make bars of acacia wood five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frame on the side of the tabernacle at the, at the rear westward. Verse 28, the middle bar halfway up the frame shall run to end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make the rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars of gold. Verse 30, then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it for it that you were shown to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So, yeah, if I had a scripture memory verse, which I'm really good with Jenny, it would be verse 30. Just God reminding his people that he is actually the one who is orchestrating this. He is the architect. The reason why we read such verses where you would think, why do we just read all those verses about some curtains and pillars? The reason why we do that is because I want us to get used to reading all the counsel of God's word um, and understanding that, that God, he's put it in the Bible for a reason. And so let's not be folly, have folly, and think that we can escape over things. Let's exercise our hearts and let's train our minds to say, hey, all God's word is breathed, right? It's breathed from, this is from the Lord. And so that's why we do that, guys. And, uh, and also you'll see that there's a beautiful thing that God is trying to teach us. What we see here is we see that this, this structure that we're talking about is extremely sturdy. It's, it's uh, beautiful, right? It's costly. Uh, the structural support, uh, we see this here. And, and, and what he does, he, he gets specific because he wants you and I to see the, the, the splendor within the detail, right? Like, man, okay, so, man, the tops are silver and the bottoms are copper. And, the, and he wants us to see all that he's making in this. And, he, and even how he takes the wood and he overlays the wood with gold. And we go, wow, this is beautiful. Uh, but here's, here's some cool things that, that are amazing. Even though he's showing us is beautiful, I think there's three things he wanted us to remember, which I think is powerful as we think of what God uh, is communicating here in the passage. First, he wants us to see its beauty. And let me just talk about um, how that beauty, although beautiful, is still fleeting. And, and, and the way he does that, right, and we see this in Revelation. Uh, Leon talked about this in Revelation chapter 21. And we can read this text here. Uh, if you could pop it up. Revelation verse uh, chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. Do we have that? The scriptures say, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Don't miss this, guys. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
See, what he is doing, this is, this is a picture of God trying to instill in us a, a prophetic imagination, right? Apocalyptic imagination to go, wow, God is going to do something someday, as, as my man said, where he's going to take things that we see as this cursory and he's going to make them gold, right? He's going to take the street and it's going to be gold. Our wallpaper are going to be rubies and jewels, you know what I'm saying? And the point there is, is that, you know, you're not going to have like sapphire and wallpaper. His point is to kind of help prepare your mind and train your mind that God is doing is going to do something really awesome. And so even though they have this beautiful structure, right, it's, it's to point to something greater. And so they see the beauty of it. But he's hoping that as as these 400 years pass on by and as the thousand and fifteen hundred years pass on by, they start to get that although this is beautiful, this is nothing compared to what our Lord is going to provide. Right now we say amen, but let's think about it. I mean, we, this is the fight of faith is how do you go through your journey in your life and not buy into the world's riches? How do you and I take ourselves and equip ourselves to the point where we walk through our journey and we're not responding and we're not finding our values in the thing that the world finds their value in? See, see, you see a bad Christology will mess you up and you'll have bad theology. Right. And that's why prosperity theology is operating in our world today, because people have an under, a, a warped understanding of Christ. Right. If, if, if you understood that God has something way better for you one day. And that actually your life here is a retelling of you carrying your cross and being murdered, just like your savior for the greater good of the community. That that's your modus operandi, that's your W-2, that's your job as a Christian, is to be a missionary and to be put up on a cross like your Savior so people can see what people on the cross look like. There he is. They don't have to picture Jesus, they can see you. Right? That's what we're supposed to be about. How are you going to do that if you have no understanding of Christ, if you have no per- you have no passion for what he has in store for you? Your imagination is thwarted. And that you bought into that all the world is about is a Lexus. About notoriety in your job. Am I, is that fair? The world screams to you and me and say, no, it's about the best girl you can get. It's about the highest education. It's about storing all your money. And it's about buying these things and these boats. And all that stuff is cool with the right mindset that it's fleeting. And it's nothing compared to the glory of God. Now, now be with me, people, because this is something we really struggle with. I don't want you leaving saying, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Get to the next point. Because the lion's coming on. Don't do that. Hear me. This is a thing we did. We deeply struggle with, especially in America, where we are taught to be a consuming society. Consume. What do I get? What do I get? Where's mine at? And that's why people can get. I mean, friendships are fleeting and people leave jobs with no. There's no sense of loyalty anymore because everyone's like, it's about me. It's about me. Whereas the gospel is it's, it's antithetical. It's the absolute, absolute opposite. The gospel is the opposite of that. The gospel is about pouring your life out for others. We, um, we were in, if you could put the picture, we were just, this weekend, my friend, we were in Niagara Falls. I've never been there before. And uh, look how, be- I mean, isn't that powerful? When you think of God's glory, we were in Niagara Falls. Now, here's the funny part. Before we left, we had, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, we knew our friend lived in Rochester, so we knew we were going to go to Niagara Falls, so we wanted to bless our kids. So we say, hey, we got a, we got a, we got a present for you. You're going you're gonna to love it. And you know, they got so sad. They said, what day are we leaving? We said, well, we're going to leave Tuesday or Wednesday. And they were like, oh, my goodness. But 
But on, it was on Tuesday, on Tuesday, there's a little party in our painter. They do like a little painting shop thing for an hour. And there's going to be a party. And they're going to have cookies. And they were really upset. They were upset. And rightfully, but hey, and rightfully so, if the gift wasn't better. You hear me? If, what, if, if, if our narrative wasn't more compelling, then it makes sense. But wait a minute. We're like, no, no, no. See, now, 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 what's the issue now? They don't see it. They don't know it. All we're asking them to do is trust their daddy and mama. I want you to think about what I've given you. And go, if daddy said it's going to be awesome, then forget cookies. They give me cookies every week. Do you see that? See, in the same way, that's what Jesus, that's what, that's what happens in salvation. He saves us. He grows us. He blesses you in so many ways so that in that next juncture, when you're like, wait a minute, is it worth it? He said, no, wait a minute. Am I daddy? Did daddy not provide for you? Did daddy not show the greatness of his love to give his only son? So when I tell you something else is even greater, it's even better than all these things that seem to be so awesome. You see, all your friends are lapping you, right? They're lapping you. Some of you guys have, have bought into Jesus and you're like, man, I'm buying into Jesus. And I got, you know, I have no 401k. I'm, I'm praying that God, my kids are smart because I can't pay for their education. I'm pre- you know what I'm saying? And you're like, I bought into this, Lord. But everybody else who didn't buy to it, they got money for their kids. They got money for their kids' kids. They're ready to retire. They're lapping me in the eyes of the world. You hear me? They look like, man, they're so successful. What happened to you? And then you start thinking, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Should I just go ahead and get mine? That's what men, is that really? I mean, I'm 40 years old now. I'm just, that's what midlife crisis, I think, is about. It's almost that, that fork in the road. Well, you're like, wait a minute now. I'm going to be dying in a little bit. Can I keep it real? And you start going, wait a minute. 20 years to Jesus. And you start thinking, start getting selfish and narcissistic. Well, where am I at, Lord? Is this really worth it? Is it really worth giving of your resources? Is it really worth being in the community and, and, and being a stakeholder and versus saying, where's the best place I can go where I can get mine in the fullest? Right, family? But then God says, wait a minute, I hear you. That's fair. That's a fair question. Now what I want you to do is remember your daddy. It's okay to ask the question. What's bad is when we have bad theology to provide a redemptive answer. See, we have a redemptive answer. We go, oh, yeah, it is worth it. Oh, because this is what Jesus did. You know, they thought, man, Satan thought he won. He's like, oh, he on the cross. He, we did it. We got him. And that in, in, in essence, his death was the victory. And he says, I want you to retell that story. The people look at you and they go, oh, oh, poor Jamie. Oh, poor Brittany. Look at y'all. Y'all sitting here. Y'all, y'all posting. You, you're doctors. Why you ain't just balling? Why you ain't just buying everything? Can we keep it 100? And they look at you giving to people and serving. They watching Matthew. Why are you going to come in, in the community and work at a, a clinic when you post? You could be making 400 grand. You know what I'm saying? And don't get, he, he a human, right? He has humanity. He ain't Jesus, who's fully human and God. So tell me, I tell you, you know, if I, I'll speak for you. There's David, he like, man, is this worth it? That beach looked real good in South Carolina. Hear me here. One of the main reasons why this was created for the people of God 
was when you have that question, you can remember. See, what they looked at, this pointed them to fleetingness. That, oh, this doesn't last. And then it pointed them to what God had done. Look what God had done. And it pointed to what God had promised. Look what God has promised. Because this isn't going to last. And I saw what God did. And I remember what he promised. Then now I can have passion to go with Jesus because I know he's going to provide for me. Do you see that? And that's why even in our stuff, even when the pain's hard, even when people hurt you and sin against you, even when you have dry seasons in your walk with the Lord, even when people do things that are horrible or you and yourself put yourself in evil environments where now the consequences are hard and real, he's still here. And his promises are still yes in Christ. So my kids are like, Daddy, Really? We're going to go to, we're going to Rochester? What are we going to do? Can you show another picture? Look at him now. Look at him now. We got there, and praise God, my kids are grateful kids. They're kind kids. And when we got into the whole tomb, they said, thanks, Mommy and Daddy. This is awesome. I said, sweetheart, is this better than the party? They said, yes. They said, yes. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to share the body. Tell the, tell the body this. Because this is nothing more than a retelling of what we go through every day. And my prayer is that God will be grafting in you a deep theology of who God is. And that's why God provides the rituals to remind you, to remind you, to remind you, to remind you. You're not supposed to just do these rituals just to do them. You do them to be reminded, to, to be just recentered and like, oh, yeah, God is good. He's better than everything else on earth. Oh, yeah, my life isn't just right here. I've been born to eternal life, so I get to enjoy life now and forever. Oh, yeah, Jesus didn't walk around with big gold chains and a bitly. He actually died on the cross. And he told me to follow his discipleship. Follow his. See, that's the thing. You say, I love Jesus. What you're saying in essence, you're ascribing and you're celebrating and you're embracing his identity as your own. But when we think, think about the identity you're embracing, you were embracing a dude who was ridiculed for three years, who was murdered. That's the identity you are embracing. He gave himself to people who hated him. Why? To show the communicable character of God. To show who God is. Himself, namely. Okay, we got to go. Um, okay. Um, so check this out, family. It's beautiful. Um, it pales in comparison to who God is, and it's fleeting. And so, I want here's the next step. I want you, as the people of God, start calibrate, start, start blowing your get your make your imagination bigger. Let's make our let's, let's, God bigger than that. Whatever you think, He bigger than that. Let's start building a prophetic imagination of God so that our eyes are so fixed on the Lord, we can enter into this space and this time we can give of ourselves. Don't hold on. Let go. Let go. Let go of your stuff. Let go of your notoriety. Don't try to make, don't try and put a big old flag in the world. And look at me. Look at my flag. It's fleeting. Your flag is going to deteriorate. That's why God says, no, you're here to be the sent people of God to show people Jesus. And I want to equip you so that when you're, when you're weak, you can remember. Okay. Last piece, and then we're going to go home. Sorry, it's a little late. 
And you shall make a veil of blue and purple, this is verse 31, and scarlet yarns and fine twin linen. It shall be made with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. Verse 32, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver. Verse 33, you shall hang the veil from the clasp and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. So now he's telling you where to put the furniture, right? And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make, verse 36, a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold. And you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. You see there, um, you have the inner veil, the outer veil he's talking about, and the curtains that he's creating, right, um, in this text here. And four inch thick, we talked about that. And think about this. You are an Israelite, okay? You have gone in for 400 years. And as an Israelite, you have never been in the holy place. You have never been in the holy of holies. 400 years. Oh, oh, let me, no, no, no. Actually, 1,500. When, this, when they stopped doing this, they still did these things. They still did the rituals. So imagine that. You don't get to go there. You kind of maybe try to peek in or something. But there's big old curtains. Think about that. What is God doing there? Imagine, imagine 1,500 years, generation after generation after generation. There is at some level with an, with an intimate God that loves you and cares for you and that you are enjoying, there is, there is a separation. There's a separation. You hear me? That's what, that's what the narrative was for the people of God for 1,500 years. Okay? Let me show you guys something. So, so when I think of this whole concept of, of tearing the veil, think about that. Think about the tearing the veil. Let me just read a few passages to you. First, so you're this, you're this, you're this Jew and you, you've done this for years. Look at Matthew chapter 11. We talked about this uh, last week, actually, but I just want to read it to you. I'm going to read a bunch of verses here, but I want you to see, hearing that reality and hearing what God, what God has done. Look at this. The scriptures read, it says, Come to me, all who labor uh, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear that? Guess what kind of language that is? That's, that's, uh, that's sanctuary language. Come to me. When we talked about it last week. We talked about what, is, what does it do? It, it, it provides a refuge. It provides a place of rest. You hear me? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you know what? See, that, that thing you went through for 1,500 years and 400 years you were building it, you were building it, you were building it, and your grandpapa told you about it, and your grandpapa told you about it. Guess what that was for? Because now when I tell you, hey, don't, you don't got to go there for refuge. Come here. Here. See, Jesus himself is saying, oh, no, I, I'm your sanctuary. But check this out. I'm not just a sanctuary. So you go in. What, what's happening in the sanctuary? We need a high, you need a priest to be, 
to be providing for, for the sins of the people. And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 7. I can't read the whole chapter. I want to encourage you, family, read the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 7, okay? But look what he says. I'm going to read this chunk, but I want you to hear me here. It says, verse 11, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, who was a priestly guy uh, back in the day? What, why do you need another priest if, if, if someone paying for the sin of the world uh, through a sacrifice was enough? Well, obviously it wasn't enough. Rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, talking about Jesus, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that the Lord, that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. So here he said, he says, this guy who's come now to offer sacrifices was blowing my mind as a Jew. This is, this is, this is the, this is Paul talking is that he's not even a Levite. Levites provided the sacrifices. He says, this dude is from the tribe of Judah. He's from the King tribe, but yet he has the efficacy. He has the efficiency, the the ability to offer sacrifices. Can you imagine as a Jew, you've seen one way. He says, no, guess what? If he is a priest and he's from a new order, then guess what? He says the rules change. That's what he's saying. And look what he continues to say. He says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not only on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life where it is witness of him. I'm going to skip down here to say here. Um, and it was not without an oath. Verse 20, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this, was, this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were not, were many in number. There were many priests in the history of Israel. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He says, there were many priests, but you, you had to continue to have priests because every priest kept dying. Okay? Which shows that they didn't have the efficiency because they were imperfect. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I read that, that big chunk of text to talk about this reality of imagining you as a person never experiencing that close communion with God. And then Jesus not only says, hey, let's change the game a little bit. No longer do you need to find a place for a sanctuary. No longer do you need to go somewhere in order to pay homage in that way. But I am the sanctuary. And guess what? Not only am I the sanctuary, I'm out of building, but then I'm actually the dude who's going in the building to pay the sacrifice. And he says, I am the high priest. I am perfect. And I'm going in here. I have the opportunity to actually pay for the sacrifice. And he says, not only am I the high priest, but then I'm not just the building or the high priest. I'm actually the sacrifice itself. So he says, I'm all of that. We say that term in a slang way. He really meant it. I'm all of that. That basically I am the building. I am actually the high priest who's going to offer the sacrifice. But guess what? When I walk into the Holy of Holies, I have no lamb. I don't need a lamb. I am the lamb. 
And then I jump on an altar and I'm murdered. And my sacrifice is forever because I live forever and I am sinless. He's our sanctuary, our high priest, and our sacrifice. And so whenever a Messianic Jew, a Jew that loves Jesus, sees this, they see their rich history. Guess what you are? You're, you're grafted in that order. And I want us to know our history. I want you to know our history. So the tabernacle was never built to forgive sin. Leave with this. It's a picture to show a new way to worship Jesus. A new way to worship God. And that is, guess what? The first is openly. That now we can all go into the Holy of Holies, boldly before the throne, because our sin has been paid for. That now we have an identity with our Savior. And to learn more about who God is. To understand who he is, which means that it forms who I am. See, that's why in the beginning when we talked about, man, a topsy-turvy reality, my prayers for us as a local community, you would not just keep coming to church. My prayer is that God will be actually changing your understanding of what does it mean to be a human. That's what he wants to do in your life. And that you no longer have to long for the fullness, but he's given us the fullness in Christ. Every time, every time you look, you have full access. Let's respond in worship, um, in tithe and offering and communion.